Money. I'm Michael Yorba. Thanks for joining with us. All right, my guest is John Gilchrist. He is the managing principal of Fundraiser Strategies. John, welcome to the show. Michael, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm glad you're here again. Now, I wanted to dive deep into what we were talking about beforehand. Um, we're talking about nonprofits, executives, and um, also how how you differentiate between the for-profit business raising money because a lot of them come on the show and do that and the nonprofits how they raise money is there a difference in tactic and strategy for these two companies or these two entities yeah you know, the, the tactics are very much the same you've got to appeal to what that individual whether it's the bank or the venture capitalist is looking for typically they want highest ROI they want equity stakes etc when you're looking at the nonprofit side you're really looking at what that donor is is most interested in are they interested in some facet of the nonprofit whether it's um, providing uh, art for free for all individuals, uh, making sure that health, good health care is available to all, providing scholarships for education. So the, while the, the end result is, is the same in terms of the money, the, the psychology of the, you're appealing more from the for-profit, it's more and more, where there's on the nonprofit side, it's I'm doing something positive for my community. I'm doing something to, to lift people up, whether it's out of poverty, out of ignorance, what have you. How do you get into their mind, though, to find out what their motivations are? That's the key that every ad agency wants to know. Yeah, it really boils down to what what you you have to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. um, now, technology's made it far more um, easier to have those conversations, whether it's via online polls, you know, SurveyMonkey, et cetera. Sometimes it's what are the, what particular messages are those individuals clicking on in their email feed or texting feed? Are they listening to uh, a personal story? Do they want the data? Are they interested in a particular uh, type of service that the nonprofit is providing? And you, you start to piece together, and there's a, we talked a little bit about the, some of the AI applications that are coming to the forefront now. Those, those same AI applications that were, are now being quite prevalent in the for-profit sector, they can be applied to the nonprofit sector as well. Talk to me about the 2017 tax impact in the sector. Well, as, uh, as you know, the 2017 kind of rewrote a lot of things about the, um, the tax law. Of particular note was the near doubling of the personal deduction, uh, whereas uh, anything uh, married couple could typically deduct up to twelve thousand. The standard deduction was twelve thousand, and now it's uh, uh, roughly twenty-four thousand. So essentially, someone in order to qualify for that higher to write off more, they have to have more deductions, and it's mortgage interest. Of course, the uh, state and local local tax limitation of $10,000. It really doesn't affect as much here in Texas because we're traditionally a much lower tax state. It's really hurting clients in California, uh, New York, Connecticut, Illinois, um, where, where you have a high state and local tax structure. It also made some changes to the um, deductibility. Larger gifts now are more deductible than ever before. 
So those mega gifts that we've seen so much of in the past several years, uh, they actually are, the tax code actually provides an ins additional incentive, Michael. Not to get into the tax ramifications, but historically deductions, you could deduct up to 50% of your AGI, adjusted gross income, uh, with charitable gifts. Now you can do it up to 60%. So people who are interested in making, uh, making larger gifts to their university, to their uh, place of worship, to a local hospital, to where, whatever, they can deduct more of it in the current tax year. Do you see that changing going forward? Well, uh, if I had a crystal ball, I think I'd be on the uh, probably be on the beach in the Cayman Islands with my private bank account. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to say what's going to happen. Remember, we will have uh, the tax cut is effective for ten years, and we will have two presidential elections in that span. We'll have four midterm, three midterm elections. I'm sorry. So who knows what's going to happen with it but for we're probably not going to see any significant changes uh in 2020 because it is an election year and the the political parties are still in control of their respective branches of of the house and senate what's going to happen in the future is, is really I, I don't want to I, I know you your viewers deserve an answer and i wish i had one i think there will be some significant changes to uh to our taxes over the course of the next several years though the issue is, are, will there be a, a cap on the deduct on deductions? Right. You know, that was one thing that um, uh, then President Obama and then candidate Hillary Clinton both seemed to espouse. They wanted to have that cap of two hundred fifty thousand dollars on charitable deductions, or you know, the uh, two hundred fifty thousand is the income limit. It, it was, it was almost penalizing people who really wanted to make significantly. Um, large gifts mm -hmm. to their favorite nonprofits. So do you, I don't see, do you see that if we change the political structure in the White House, the Congress, Senate, do you see that that's swinging back to trying to put that cap in place? Or at this point, it's probably pretty safe. Well, I think, I think, no cap like I said, for the, for the next 15 to 18 months, uh, any kind of significant tax law is not going to go into a, let's just uh, say that the Democrats win the White House and they take control of the Senate in 2020. So they, right. so the Democrats will hold, will run all three branches of uh, Congress and the president, House, Senate and the presidency. Right. Okay. So they take power on 20, January 20th of 21. Uh, it's not like on January 22nd there's going to be this massive tax bill, bill that's going to pass and it's going to be effective. So uh, I would say probably for the next two years, we're likely to be okay. okay. 2022, anybody's guess. In regards to raising money, there is, is gala addiction, especially this time of the year, going through between now and the end of the year. Oh, yeah. Everything's popping like that. Talk to me about the, the use of gala addiction in other words, people be going to galas and putting on more and more and more and more versus alternative ways to get to know the, the passions and the interests of the donors coming into that you want to attract to your nonprofit. You know, uh, you raise a great point in that there is, a, particularly in this town, there is a, an, an attraction to the big fundraising galas, the evening, the night of the stars, what have you. And all that is fine and dandy. Don't get me wrong. Um, as long as it's uh, one component of a well-rounded fund development plan where you've got 
uh, your planned giving, your major giving, your annual giving. Yes, uh, events do have a place, and they 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 own a, a good spot on a good chunk of real estate in that development spectrum. But what the addiction gets into is organizations can find themselves that they're focusing from one event to the next event to the next event, and they don't take the time to truly engage with those donors to really find out, as you said, what drove you to come to this gala? Was it our mission? Was it because somebody, you liked somebody, somebody asked you who you trust? Maybe you find out, the nonprofit should find out what drew that individual, what motivated them to come to the to their particular addiction, to their their particular gala. Right. Here, I, here I am talking about addiction. That's okay. <laughs> um, that can be an impersonal type of, of um, query, and it can be a very personal query. The personal one would be where we just stand, we're standing there and talking to them, ask them straightforward the questions in order to cover more ground. Technology seems to be taking that personal touch out of it by surveys or watching their 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 habits their search habits through AI where do you find is it a blend or is there more and a more effective way to really get to know who your donors are so that you can really be more effective in your campaigns right when you take a look at the broad spectrum of potential donors and current donors most nonprofits are pretty skilled at ter- at uh, segmenting they put their donors in different buckets, large donors, mid, mid-range donors, entry-level donors. For the, uh, for, for the large donors, it's still the personal ask. They've got to have this level of interaction because that donor uh, typically is going to want some very specific things accomplished with his or her gift. And that's their, that's their right to do so. The mid-level, that's where the, you kind of get that, if you will, that mushy middle. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not quite at the major gift level, but they could become, they could drive, you could drive their interest up to where they see that they can make a real difference with their philanthropic investment. The annual gift, the smaller donors, the 2,500, 150 or so, it's highly unlikely that there's going to be a great deal of personal interaction. Uh, classic adage in uh, major gift fundraising, you spend 90% of your time cultivating, engaging with them for, on that relationship, and you spend about 10% asking. Flip it for annual giving. You're doing 10% cultivation. Um, I'm sorry, 10% a, um, uh, cultivation. You're doing 90% asking. You can't. You don't have time to ask. Sit down and peep with every individual who could make a $50 gift, for example. Now, one of the things that that are in some of the content that I know that you published is um, questions that you should be asking either the board or yourself before you join a nonprofit board? What is, and that, that's a, you raise a very, um, very powerful point. Jumping onto a nonprofit board needs to be viewed with the same uh, respect and due diligence as you would if you're wanting to get on a for-profit board of directors. Um, there are, obviously you have the three legal duties, duty of care, loyalty, obedience. So some of the questions that you need to be asking yourself if you are wanting to join a board or if you've been asked on a board, what is it about that mission that excites you? What is it, what ignites your passion? Um, when you are asked, you, you need to start taking a look at their finances. The individual has to do their due diligence just like anyone else would. Uh, are they, what's their 990s, the, the federal tax return essentially for nonprofits? Take a look at, uh, do they have sufficient reserves? Have they been profitable? 
just because they're a nonprofit doesn't mean that they don't run a profit. They just plow it all back into their operations and, and services. You want to make sure that they've, uh, how long has the CEO been in place? If you have a, a revolving door, there may be an issue there. Uh, maybe the, uh, don't know what, what might be going on. But those are some questions that you should be asking yourself. What are some of the questions that maybe I should have been asking you up through this interview that I, I could have missed? The things that you think are very important our audience needs to know about. Well, I think I think one of the things that one question is, is the how how impactful has the tax cut been on nonprofit giving? Now, in 2018, it was really flat. There may be just a, a slight a slight increase in terms of actual dollars. When you adjust it for inflation, it was just down a tick. Mm. What's more concerning is that the number of donors seems to be shrinking in America. That's that's what the that's that is the if you will that's the big cross that we have to figure out. Is that because of economics or is do you think it's because of interest? I think it's I think it has some a little bit to do with both. Obviously, the the change in the near doubling of the standard deduction will keep some people from making a gift. Well, if you're on that cusp, say the in the old old style, you were near that twelve thousand dollars, and you uh, it was you know October November, you could feasibly you know write off more than the twelve thousand. Now it, it it's more difficult, but the interest is really the issue. I I think that that's a big part of it. Nonprofits have to be the best storytellers possible. That's how we learn. That's how we create that emotional connection. It can't be enough that you're, well, we're serving more people. We're doing more. We're, we've got a larger budget now. Donors don't want to know that. I mean, it doesn't, it's not exciting, but they can relate to, you know, here's an individual who you lifted out of poverty. You gave them some job training. I helped, I and other donors, help pay for that person to get a job training program. Now they're... Now they're a welder, they're a plumber, they're something. But the point is that they, they're no longer in poverty. And that's one of the exciting things about this Community Council of Greater Dallas initiative about the 5,000 jobs in 2020. It's not just 5,000 minimum wage jobs. These are jobs that they're seeking to create where you can support a family. You can support yourself. You're not having to take a second job. You're not having to get on some type of government assistance. These are real, uh, productive, long-term jobs. John, thanks for being our guest. Delighted to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. My pleasure. You've been watching CEO Money with Michael Yorba. Thanks for joining with us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and don't forget to download our new app on Apple and Android.